That song made me think about something, so I'm just going to tell you something that I've learned. See, when God gives you a position, when you get a job, when you have an opportunity, you have authority over that job, that position, or that opportunity. You have the authority. Look at your neighbor say, I've got the authority. But then you actually theologically have the right to invite God into that, to take whatever role you ask him to take. You can ask him, business person, because I know some of you are in here, you can ask him to be your HR director. Missionary, you can ask him to be your fundraiser. And you can rely on him and trust him that he will do a better job than you ever could. I'm not talking about not putting the work in. I'm talking about the kind of trust that comes from understanding that you're allowed to invite him in to whatever area of your life you want to invite him into, and he will come. Okay, that was an aside. All right, so tonight, I'm super excited. We're going to be talking about, I bet you can't guess it, stories. Jesus loved stories, and you should too, because Jesus told stories to change your perspective. No, I don't think you guys hear me. Jesus told stories to change your paradigm, to shift the way that you think, to change you forever. Because the reality that we create for ourselves, what we call subjective reality, is made up of what? The stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves and others. And where do those stories come from? They come from somewhere. They come from people who have told you stories about yourself and about about others. They come from society as a whole. That's why Instagram and Facebook are so incredibly powerful and potent. It's because it just shoves stories after story after story after story after a story after story at you, and you don't even realize it, but it's shaping the very way that you think about the universe because that's what stories do. Stories change you from the inside out, and Jesus knew that a story stays longer than a lecture ever will. A story stays longer than a lecture ever will. And so he told over 30 parables. Parables are, are just fancy names for stories. But, but they're stories that have a point to it. And he told these stories because the new, it's hard for us to understand 2,000 years later when so much of Christianity has influenced so much of culture. It's such a base level. But the new that Jesus brought was shockingly different than anything that had ever come before. So it was hard to understand from just having it be explained. It needed to have a story, a story that would carry through the generations across cultures, across languages, and would translate and would continue to change people's hearts. Jesus loved story, and his story can change our story. So let's dive into one of my favorite stories of Jesus. It's found in Luke chapter 14, and we're going to start with verse 1, and we find Jesus at dinner. One Sabbath, 
when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they, talking about the Pharisees, were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. That's not the right verse if you were wondering. That is later. Probably my fault, not theirs. Okay. I'm going to start over because you were probably trying to read that and figure out how it worked with my voice. Can we just start over? I'm just going to tell you the story. It's going to be great. So he's at dinner with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are the rulers and the, and the keepers of the law. These are the people who are like the good people in the town, okay? They're the rule keepers. They're the rule creators, rule keepers. That's who they are in this society. And so the Pharisees have invited Jesus to dinner. And they are watching him carefully. And there's a guy at dinner who has dropsy which is a type of paralysis. And so he's at dinner, and they're watching him carefully to see if he's going to heal this guy on the Sabbath. And so Jesus, knowing what's in their hearts, because he does, he, he asks this question. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So Jesus goes to this man who has this disease, this affliction, and he heals him anyway. This guy goes from being the guy with dropsy to being healed and whole in a moment. And then Jesus turns to the lawyers and to the Pharisees and he says, which of you? Having a son or an ox that's fallen into the well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out. Because see, that was allowed. If your son or your ox fell into the well on a Sabbath day, you could, you could pull them out. And they remained Silent. Okay, so let's just set the scene for a minute. Jesus is at dinner. Have you ever noticed in the New Testament that Jesus is either at dinner, on his way to dinner, or on his way back from dinner? Jesus loved going to dinner. He loved hanging out with people. I mean, he converts at dinner. He chastises at dinner. He tells stories at dinner. He hangs out at dinner. He heals at dinner. He does a lot of stuff. He gets a lot done at dinner. But at this dinner, the Pharisees had not invited him in just to hang out. They had invited him in to judge him. They had invited him in to watch him closely. They had invited him in to see if he measured up to their standards. And what scholars think is that this guy who has dropsy, that he was a plant. That they had invited him and Jesus on the Sabbath, on the same day, to see 
if Jesus was going to go against what was okay, because it wasn't okay to heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus does it seven times. That's intentional. You know, like if somebody does something once or twice, it's an accident. When they do it seven times, it's on purpose. You should know. Someone needs to know that. Right? And Jesus does it seven times. He does it on purpose. And they are ticked off because he is directly challenging the way that God's laws are being applied and being construed and being created in that day. The law had degenerated into this pickiness, all of these endless quarrels about little things that just honestly don't matter. There, there, were, there were treatises and conversations about what kind of wrapping you could wrap your food in to keep it warm because you weren't allowed to cook on the Sabbath. And in the midst of all of this pettiness, people are forgotten. And if there's one thing that we should know about Jesus coming to earth is that people matter a lot to God. And so he steps into these stupid arguments and he says, time out. This isn't the way that it was ever supposed to be. But what the Pharisees are really doing is they're watching Jesus to see if he fits into their story. Because they have written a character for Jesus. They've decided how Jesus should act, how Jesus should heal, how Jesus should interact, how Jesus, and they want to see, are you going to live up to who I have decided that you're supposed to be in my story? But they've got something wrong. It's not their story. I mean, we, we can do the same thing, right? We start thinking of God as a character, a main character. Centrish. In our story. And we write a character for him. And then we get ticked off when he doesn't live up to what we've written for his character. Because we have an expectation on God that he will be a certain kind of person in our story. Problem is, it's not our story. See, we have not invited God into our story. We have been graciously invited into his. And the question is not whether his justice measures up to my standards. It's not whether his standards measure up to my sense of justice. It's whether I'm willing to submit my way to his way. Am I willing to become who he's called me to be in his story? And that's where we find Jesus in this moment because this is the thing, guys, is you can't judge Jesus and serve him at the same time. 
you just can't. Because not only had these people missed the point of the law, which was people, but they missed Jesus too. And when we spend our time judging Jesus instead of just serving Jesus, we miss out on Jesus. But Jesus lived unafraid and unashamed. So he was not intimidated at all by these people watching him closely. Instead, he did what he does. He healed people. And not only does he not give in to the scrutiny, but this is my favorite part. He decides not only is he not going to be the character they want him to be in, the, you know, their story. Instead, he's going to jump right in and start color commentating on their story. Watch this next part. It's awesome. Luke 14, 7. Now he told a parable, a story to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose their seats at the table, saying to them, when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if somebody who's more distinguished than you has also been invited? Next slide. The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat's left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. And then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all of the guests. And then he ends it by saying this, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Guys, do you, do you see what's happening here? He is at dinner. He is watching them choose their places and then he's telling them a story about how they did it wrong. And he doesn't stop there. After he finishes with the guests and the host feeling pretty good, he's like, that's right. You guys sit in the low seat and let me decide where everybody sits, right? Then he goes in on the host. <laughs> Listen to this. He also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. All the people, spoiler alert, who are there. Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed because they can't repay you. For you will be repaid when? At the resurrection of the just. In real time, he is telling them how to throw a party. How to act at a party. He's not... I want you to feel the awkwardness of this. He is not sitting by the Sea of Galilee and telling stories about a party. He's sitting at a party telling stories about how everything everybody just did was the wrong way to come to sit at and host a party. In Louisiana, we have a word for that. He's meddling. He's just meddling. And why is he doing that? 
because he's looking at them and he's saying, you invited me to watch you to be watched closely, but I'm much more interested in telling you stories that will change your life forever, that will help you see yourself and those around you different forever. I'm much more interested in meddling with all your stuff. Thank you for the invitation to your dinner table. He's not interested in meeting our expectations or the expectations we've written into our story. He is interested in bringing us heart and soul into his story. And in his story, he is king. And the king gets to tell you how to do your stuff. The king gets to tell you how to live your life. We're, we're members of a democracy. And honestly, sometimes that is a challenge for us when we read the Bible. Because in a democracy, it is the assent or the cooperation of the people that gives our leaders legitimacy. You following Jesus does not give Jesus legitimacy. He was already legitimate. He was already the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was already all of the things that we have talked about. He is who he is. He has always been, always will be, always forever is the great I am. From the very beginning all the way to the end. The only thing we are invited or even have an opportunity to do is get in alignment with his story. Is get in alignment with who he says he is and who he says that we are too. And so one of the people at the party gets like super uncomfortable with what Jesus is saying. And he can't be quiet anymore. So he grabbed onto the one part of Jesus' TED Talk that he liked, which was the reference to the judgment of the righteous. And he says, ah, oh. when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And this is exactly what we do too. God shows us an area of our life that needs to change. He says, stop plagiarizing those papers. That's a bad witness to everybody in your class, and it's a bad witness to your teachers. He says, be excellent in every area of your life. You know that you shouldn't be doing those things. You know that that's not a fruit of the Spirit. You know that, right? I mean, come on, right? We all have those things that happen in our lives. And what do we do? We punt. We say something super spiritual in response, and we completely, like, try to divert the conversation to something else. It's like, oh, that feels a little too practical. Yeah, Jesus practically came to earth and practically died for you and was practically resurrected from the dead. He practically cares about what's practical. But we can do the exact same thing that this guy is doing here, but you shouldn't do it. Because this guy is basically saying, I'm going to heaven, and that's all that matters. So Jesus is like, oh, really? Let me tell you another story. 
And Jesus offers this parable that should shake any of us out of our complacency, starting in verse 16. He says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come for everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go examine them. Please have me excused. I like the way this says, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to go try them out. (laughs) Sounded like a better excuse in my version. Another said, I just got married so I can't come which is what all of your married friends will say for the first two years they're married. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those that I first invited will get the smallest taste of my banquet. Being invited isn't enough. You have to actually accept the hospitality of God. You have to actually accept the hospitality of God. And you don't taste of the abundant life or of eternal life until you have submitted your everyday life. See, it's one thing to say, I surrender all. But you don't give your life away in a moment. Ask some of these guys who have less hair here and more hair here. Ask some of your seasoned missionaries. You don't give away your life in a moment. No, hear me. Because you need to know this. You don't give away your life in a moment. You give away your life moment by moment, day by day. Hour by hour, sacrifice by sacrifice, submission by submission. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, a lot of you have been invited into my radical hospitality, but you have not really accepted my invitation. But you know what else he's teaching us about with these, with these parables and with this, this story? Is he's teaching us about his method of changing the world. His method of radical hospitality. And radical hospitality, friends, may be the most essential element of living your life as an innkeeper. And so that's what we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about tonight. I have a couple quotes on hospitality I want to read to you. Hospitality is the offer to extend the privileges of community to those who do not have the standing to expect it, especially those who are vulnerable because they are strangers. 
Hospitality is an offer to identify with outsiders and to treat them like insiders. Hospitality is extending privilege across difference. I like the way um, that my brother-in-law says it. Hospitality is the friendly reception and treatment of guests. It's what turns strangers into friends. It's what turns strangers into friends. And this is exactly, this is exactly what Jesus is addressing in this passage. Before we go any further, hospitality is a really big deal to God. In fact, you could say that heaven itself is this radical hospitality of God. It's a literally description of God offering us hospitality. Remember the verse that we read this morning? I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. All of those things, you are invited, you belong, and I will treat you, outsider, like a son, an insider. But if you don't accept God's offer of a seat at the table, you miss out on the kingdom. And the passage tells us some of the excuses people use for not accepting a seat at the table. Business, just being busy, getting it done. Novelty, relationships. And Jesus doesn't accept any of those Instead, he goes out and he invites those whose society is left out. Look, I realize that this passage is, is, is symbolic of the Gentiles and Jews. I get that, but it's also about us. These things can be read on so many different levels, and we can often find ourselves too bored, too busy, too apathetic, too interested, too connected, too caught up in our own stories because that's what they were. They were caught, so caught up in their own stories that they couldn't even see the invitation into a bigger and a more important story than they could have ever imagined. When we accept the hospitality of God, coming into his kingdom, accepting his king, and submitting our lives to him, then hospitality to others becomes an outflow of our lives. I, I really don't know when this happened, but hospitality has become like the word that we only use to talk about like, I don't know, women's ministry or something, right? No, I mean, really, right? It's like, oh, she has the gift of hospitality. We don't let her talk, but she can serve cookies, you know? No, but I'm serious. This is, but this is why I'm saying that. I'm not, no, I'm not saying it for probably the reasons you think I'm saying it. I'm saying it because men, don't shut your ears to the rest of what I'm trying to say. This is Jesus's method of changing the world. So it's for all of us, all the time, everywhere, period. Radical hospitality is for every single innkeeper. It is a radical way of living your life with arms wide open where the broken and the hurting and the entitled and the, all the people have a place at your table. 
just the way that all the people have an invitation to Jesus' table. And it changes the world. See, Jesus is talking about all of this, and, and he explains that um, hospitality is an important part to God. But God doesn't just offer us hospitality. He demands that we practice it. And so Jesus starts addressing kind of this mindset of hospitality. And the first thing he addresses is motives. Because this was a very hospitable culture. You had to be hospitable in the Middle East during this time. It was really, really, really important. But who you invited to your table usually had to do with who could help you. Because if you were going to spend your extra food, think about it, on somebody, then you wanted to make sure they had your back. And they were going to spend extra food on you. I'll invite you on Sunday, but you're going to invite me next Sunday. I'm only going to invite people who can help me out. I'm only going to have friends who can help me get ahead. I'm only going to talk to people who can really bring value. You know, you don't really bring value to my life, so you don't have a place in my life. And that's what society will try to trick you into doing, is only having people in your circle who can make you look better. But that's not the radical hospitality of Christ. And by the way, it was through this method that the early church exploded. The early church was known for their radical hospitality. Don't believe me? We'll read a scholar. It'll be great. Dr. George Ross says this, hospitality had a central role in the early church as believers forged a new identity in a hostile culture. That sounds like Chi Alpha to me. As Christians shared meals and resources, as they opened their lives and homes to strangers, they formed communities that transcended and changed conventional understandings of households and expressed new understandings of social relations and political identities. The world noticed and wondered about this odd assortment of people who claimed to be and acted as if they were family. See, when we choose to keep inviting everyone, even our enemies, because Jesus said to love your enemies because you're going to have some. Sometimes we, we forget that it's love your enemies not just love the people who are difficult and you don't like their personality. It's love the people who actively dislike you, who actively want you to fail, who actively are standing against you. When we keep inviting people to our table, everyone, even our enemies, even the people who say the offensive thing, even the person who told the inappropriate story, even the person who called you that name, when we keep inviting everyone, even our enemies to the table, we send a message to culture that we serve a different king and we are part of a different kingdom. Your motivation 
for including people, inviting people to the table matters. I said it again this morning, but I want to say it again tonight. People are not problems to be solved. They are not projects to be managed. They are people who Jesus died for. And by the way, people know when you think of them as a problem or a project. They know your way of being tells them, and you're not going to reach them. You're not going to reach them until you see them, not as a potential outcome, but as a human being who has value to almighty God. The Pharisees, they invite this guy with dropsy to the table, but they don't offer him radical hospitality. They don't even offer him common hospitality. They have invited him as an experiment, as an it among humans. Jesus is the only one in that room who offers that man hospitality, who sees him beyond the lesson that the Pharisees were trying to teach, who loves him, who cares for him, who has compassion for him, who hosts him, and who ultimately heals him. Jesus just offered him the same courtesy that the Pharisees wanted to reserve for the cows in their barn. That's all he did. And he changed everything for that man. Can you imagine? This man gets invited to the table. Maybe he was excited, you know? Hey, what? A leader in his community was like, why don't you come to dinner on the Sabbath? He's like, Martha, I got invited. It's amazing. We're going to have friends. He shows up and nobody's even talking to him. He's just sitting at the table. And then he realizes, this is a setup. And I'm the bait. They didn't want me in the first place. They just brought, what? Can you imagine how, how, like, what he felt like? And then Jesus decides to play host because he can. And he sees this man and he offers him a radical hospitality that heals him and changes his life forever. See, hospitality is Jesus's model. You can see it over and over again. He was constantly inviting others to tables. Communion, that in-between ritual, so much of it has to do with hospitality, breaking bread together. It's not just a covenant between you and God, but it's also a covenant between you and all the people that you are taking it with, saying, you know what? We're not going to stink and give up. We're going to keep going because we have a Savior that we're following, and he was brave, and we can be brave, and he's going to help us. Do you see? See what I'm saying? He, he introduced hospitality. Matthew 25 is all the judgment. It's all about hospitality. Did you clothe people? 
Did you give them food? Did you give them drink? Did you go see them when they were sick or when they were in prison? And then he sends the people who didn't do those things into eternal torment. You can read it. It's in black and white. And that should scare any of us. Because we're invited to offer radical hospitality just like Jesus. God thinks it's a big deal. It's Jesus's model, but it is a mindset. It's a mindset. It's a mindset that can be cultivated. Girls, where are my girls? I've got my two oldest girls right here. I'm so proud of you. Hey, girls, who do we look for? That was pitiful. Girls, who do we look for? I don't know if you could hear them in the back. What they said is we look for the lonely people. Every single morning before we go to school, I yell at my kids while I'm wearing my red bathrobe and my husband's taking them. That's too much TMI? Anyway. And um, I yell at them and I say, girls, who do we look for? And they yell, the lonely people. Why? Because that's who Jesus looked for. And I want to cultivate them a mindset and an identity that we offer radical hospitality. We're not going to school to just see our friends. We go into every room. We go into every restaurant. We go into every coffee shop. We go in and we are on the outlook for the lonely people because that's who Jesus looked for. It's a mindset. It can be cultivated, but it's a mindset that requires consistent action. This isn't something that you can just do once in a while. It's choosing that you're going to do this every single day of your life. You're going to offer radical hospitality. You're going to talk to people when you're tired. You're going to care about their stories when, honestly, you don't care about their stories, but you're going to choose to care about their stories because Jesus cares about their stories. You're going to be the one who picks up the trash at the table. You're going to be the one who wipes down the counter. You're going to be the one who sees every room as your domain. Because let me, let me tell you the truth is that Jesus owns it all. Right? The Bible says that, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So if Jesus owns it all, and I'm about to close, so if the band will come up. If Jesus owns it all, That means you can be a host everywhere. When you get there, I don't care who threw the party, you're the host. I don't care who owns the coffee shop, you're the host. I don't care who's out there and handling everything. I don't care who's in charge of the group. You are a host, and you are called by God to offer radical hospitality that will change everything and everyone. I can remember being on a plane, and I was sitting next to this lady who only spoke Spanish. Now, I speak a a couple languages. I speak um, some Chinese, and I speak a wee bit of French. Like, that was a joke. But anyway... I do. I speak no Spanish, like no Spanish. But this lady only spoke Spanish. And so the the drink cart is coming up and she is just talking to me. And I'm like, 
I don't know what you're saying, but you know what? I'll try. And I do. I try. And I'm doing my best. And I'm trying to translate this language that I don't speak to the flight attendant to give this drink. And it's not going well. But I get myself in awkward situations all the time, so don't worry. And the lady's getting more and more frustrated with me. And finally, I just looked at her and I said, I don't know. And she goes, wait, are you not with her? I said, no, ma'am, I'm not with her. She's just my seatmate. She seems lovely. And the flight attendant broke out in fluent Spanish and took her order. And I looked at her and I was like, She literally did this. She flipped her hair and said, I don't get paid to speak Spanish. (laughs) That's what it looks like when you forget people are people. Don't talk to me about wages. Don't talk to me about unions. Don't talk to me about any of those things. In that moment, there were two human beings. One was in need. The other had what the other needed, and she was unwilling to give it because she did not see that woman as a person. She saw her as a problem. How often do we do the exact same thing? Are we willing to be like Jesus, to host every room we walk in, to offer radical hospitality that will change everything. But you can't do that if you're still questioning whether you belong. It's an ownership identity. I belong because I'm God's. And because I'm God's, I can host anytime, anywhere, all the places. See, hospitality is a mindset that results in consistent action and invites the supernatural. All through the Bible, that's what happens. Feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is asking his followers to treat every one of those people as insiders who are going to get free meals with Jesus, not as outsiders. Zacchaeus, he was not converted by the Sermon on the Mount. He was converted by Jesus hosting himself into his house. Over and over again, this simple act of submitting to Jesus's way submitting to Jesus' way of changing everything. You know what the very first thing it does is it changes you. It changes you from the inside out. Because it's not the platforms of your life that matter the most. It's the daily of your life that begins to matter the most the radical hospitality you offer to everyone that you encounter. Will you stand with me?
We're gonna do this quick. We're gonna be done at 9.30. Do you hear me? I'm gonna lead the next 14 minutes and you're gonna stick with me. You ready? I first just wanna have an opportunity to pray for those who, as I spoke, you said, that's who I wanna be. I wanna be the person who offers radical hospitality. I wanna see people the way Jesus sees people. I wanna have that ownership mentality. If that's you and you say, that's who I wanna be, I just want you to come down and let me pray for you. That's who I wanna be. That's who I wanna be. I wanna be a person who offers radical hospitality. And I believe you, Destiny, that it can change my campus, that it can change everything. Lift your hands when you get down here. Heavenly Father, these people have signed up to be hosts in the universe that you've created. So Father, I pray that right now you would open their eyes to see the people around them in a new and in a powerful way. Open their eyes to see, their ears to hear, their minds to understand and their hearts to receive more than they have ever received before. Help them to be able to see the lost and the hurting who have been invited to the tables of humanity as experiments and examples. God, break their hearts for the people around them who are lonely not just the misfits, but the ones who seem like they have it all together. Let them be the people who always have an extra seat at the table, who always have room for one more. Let us be the people who don't allow offense to get in the way. You know, this is the thing is that when you decide to sign up for radical hospitality, you give up your right to hold grudges, to not forgive, to go off on people, to have rants. You're gonna have to give up some of your preferences and all of your prejudices. Father, I pray that you would empower this choice. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All right, right now we're gonna do something else. I want you to find at least one other person from your school or your state. Find them right now, at least one other person right now. Don't talk to everybody. Just find one other person, two other people. Come on, let's do it. Find them. You found him. Don't talk anymore. Listen. I want you to pray for your schools. But I don't just want you to like kind of pray for your schools. I want you to pray like inviting God to be like, like, like the person, you know what I'm talking about, to be on your team at your school. 
inviting God into the center of, of your recruiting, inviting God into the center of your party planning, inviting God into the center of all of that, that he's actually gonna take the stinking position and he's gonna change everything. I want you to pray that God will break down the mental barriers you have that are keeping you from reaching not just like 1% of your campus, but 10% of your campus. I want you to speak what you believe God can do in your school. Come on, gather up, let's do it. Let's do it, let's pray. God, we pray right now for the students at the schools that make up the Southeast districts. In the name of Jesus Christ, we speak revival. We speak revival. Father, break our hearts for the lost. God, I pray that going into this next semester, that our heads will be on a swivel to see those who need you. God, that you would open up opportunities to have conversations, that we would live unafraid and unashamed. Father, I pray that we would no longer tell a story of being a remnant and an outcast band of stragglers, those who don't even have a chance, but that we would tell a story of being the hosts alongside the host of the universe that have a right to walk into every single room, that have authority and the opportunity to offer radical hospitality to every person that comes along our path. Father, let us not just seek to convert. Let us seek to serve every person that comes into our, our area, into our classroom, into our dorm room. God, do something in the name of Jesus. Open our eyes to see. Open our ears to hear. I pray right now, begin to call out students' names, specific students, specific students who come to your mind, begin to call out their names, begin to claim that they, this semester, are going to meet Jesus. People who you've thought they are the least likely to ever know Jesus, begin to call out their names. we thank you. We thank you for revival. God, I pray that there would be doors that would open specifically into sports teams, that would open into drama clubs, that would open into arts groups. God, I pray that you would give a foothold into the international students at these different universities. Help our hearts to be open so that we can see the opportunities like never before. Father, do something. Do something great. Our hearts are burdened. We don't want to be like the Pharisees standing on the side judging you, asking you why you haven't done more. Father, we want to line up with your story. We want to line up with your story. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
declare favor in the name of Jesus over the leaders in this room. Favor like never before as they go in and they deal with administration, as they deal with teachers, as they deal with the people who have the yes and the no to what they can do on campuses. God, I pray that this radical hospitality, that their approach even to those people would begin to open up doors like never before.